Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply that there will be two new inductees to the Australian Cricket Hall of Fame. Mike Hussey was announced alongside our next guest, Lynn Larson, a long-term captain of the Australian women's cricket team between 1984 and 1994. She played, was named captain in 1987 as a 22-year-old and will be inducted into the Australian Cricket Hall of Fame. Lynn, thank you very much for joining us on SEM Breakfast this morning. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. How how do you feel having this honour bestowed upon you? Look, it's it's funny. I received a phone call, I think it was probably a couple of weeks ago now, and it still is quite surreal. I think probably because I haven't seen anyone. I've just been on the end of interviews and, and phone calls. Uh, I haven't actually left the farm at all. I think once I get to the Gabba test where the formal presentation will be made, it'll feel a little bit... Um, it'll, it'll sink in then and feel real, but... Certainly, it's a great honour, and I'm, I'm still be overwhelmed by it. I have to say. Take us back in time to Lismore in New, Northern New South Wales when you were growing up. Where did the love of cricket come from? And describe what the pathway was like towards playing for Australia, because I'm going to suggest it's far different to what we see today. Yes, you're, you're right in that. It is very, very different. Look, I was lucky to grow up in a family that loved sport. Um, my dad was just an average club cricketer, very unorthodox, but he loved his cricket. Um, uh, dad and my brother Peter, we used to play out the, on the front lawn in front of the old telegraph pole when I was a, a kid. Uh, we'd go over to my grandfather's on my mum's side, who was a good cricketer around the Nimbin area. He was a left-arm fast bowler. So it was always something that we did. It was never any serious sort of pursuit. Um Tunbrook Creek Public School, we had probably had 15 to 20 kids in total um, on a good year. And my teacher there, Mr Collins, was very sports-minded, so we'd be out every afternoon playing something. Cricket was one of those games. And I guess I continued to do that until high school uh, when a friend of mine asked me to fill in at the Lismore Women's Cricket Comp, which I didn't know there was a comp at the time. We had a four-team comp. And I guess that was the beginning of it all. I played club cricket every Saturday from there on in for the next 15 or 16 years. But as far as getting on a pathway, New South Wales uh, cricket had a very, very good structure in place at the time. There were women's cricket comps right across the state. So there may have been Lismore, the Central Coast, Newcastle, Armidale, Tamworth, Wellington, Mudgee, Orange, you name it. There was a women's cricket comp. So Lismore sent a team to the New South Wales Country Championships. We'd play against all those other teams. Uh, the selectors would pick a New South Wales country first and second to play against city first and seconds. And that's where the selection process then began where state selectors were there and, and named state squads. So 
uh, making those initial New South Wales juniors and then seniors that have put me then in front of Australian selectors. Well, I'm always fascinated, um, Lynn, and huge congratulations. It, it's a, a tremendous uh, acknowledgement of a, a wonderful career and then your contribution later on. We'll get to that uh, after your playing career as well. But uh, I'm always fascinated with uh, with fellow spin bowlers. Uh, we're both league spinners. And uh, why do you bowl league spin? How did, it, how did it come about? Because you're talking about influences around you, left arm fast bowling and all that. How did you end up bowling leggies? Uh to be fair, Bryce, I, I wouldn't class myself as, as a leg spinner. Everybody did simply because the ball moved away as a leg spinner would move it away. I've, I've always just had a bit of a, a weird wrist thing going on to it. <laughs> and so it, my, it, the ball always just came out the back of my hand and my, it was just a bit of a natural wobble initially and then the wrist would turn, same as when I played tennis, top spin. It was just a natural rollover of the wrist. Same as when I ten pin bowling, I always end up in the gutter. Uh, because my wrist rolls over and takes it where it shouldn't be. So, uh, but whatever the the mechanism that was going on, I was very fortunate that the ball actually turned. Um, and uh, you know, as, as with normal leg spinners, uh, I used to love getting my stumpings and things, just probably deceiving batters in the air and then just moving off the off the pitch. So, um, no training, no anything, just a natural thing that used to happen when I rolled my arm over. So, um, yeah, and I think it was only once I did get some coaching that things got mucked up because people tried to turn me into, you know, the orthodox sort of bowler. And in the end, I, I ended up, I was between, I didn't have my old action and the new one wasn't embedded, but that was sort of too late in my career for that to, to really stick. But yeah, just a natural thing that, that actually happened as a, you know, just a novice running up in the front yard. That's that's when I rolled my arm over. That's how it came out. Well, it's interesting how all that unfolds. We think of uh, the, the modern day batsman, I suppose, um, you know, Phil Hughes comes to mind about his unique uh, batting uh, style. It's very similar, just made in the backyard and uh, it's homegrown and homemade and clearly it's taken you to the heights of uh, captain in Australia. But after you, you, you played um, cricket, you also served as a selector for three years and a team manager of the Australian youth team. Was that something that was, uh, and obviously all the way through this, you were talking about your strong leadership. Was that something that um, lit you up as well as uh, as playing the game? I, I really, really enjoyed the opportunities I had post playing. I think when I was playing, you know, you were so focused on what you were doing. There were, you know, interviews. It was just a, it's only, it, before I was named captain, and and it, I guess it happened way too early for me. I mean, I really enjoyed the cricket. I enjoyed the off-field things, and uh, I remember talking to a, a one of the English players, Meg Lear, who I met once I was captain. I we played against her in '84, '85, and. Then when I met her over, and it would have been 87, I think, um, over on the tour, she said, what happened to you? You used to be fun. Um, so when, when you start to get into those, I guess, the leadership roles and, and, and things change for you. So I enjoyed the cricket and I enjoyed the camaraderie of the team and so on, but I certainly enjoyed it in a different way once I finished playing because I was able to sit on the sideline and, and chat to people and there was no responsibility on me for performance. It was just making sure the girls got where they needed to be and... Uh, all of those managerial things are in place. So uh, I feel very privileged to have had that opportunity as, as well um, to take the youth team to India in 94 with up-and-coming greats in that side and watching them unfold. So there was Karen Rolton, Mel Jones, Julia Price, uh, a whole the whole host of the next era of players and to share that experience with them was something special and to manage the Australian team on a tour of 
England in 98 when, when all of those girls were actually in the Australian team under Belinda Clark's leadership. That was probably one of the most enjoyable t- tools I've had. We're speaking with Lynn Larson, who's been inducted into the Australian Cricket Hall of Fame, played 15 tests for Australia, 410 runs, 26 wickets as part of those test matches, and then also represented Australia in 49 one-day internationals at 426 runs and 24 wickets. You're also a part of the World Cup glory for the Australian women's side in 1988. Lynn, what was the highlight, the crowning moment of your career when you reflect back on all that you achieved as a player? What's the one memory that sticks out? Sadly, I can't, I can't um, reduce it to one. I think the, the World Cup victory, of course, because it was a World Cup victory at the MCG in front of a home crowd, uh, that was, I felt a lot of pressure on us because there was great expectation as defending champions and at home that we would win that. So for me, getting the job done there uh, as a team was just a great relief in lots of ways. It, was, it wasn't it was overly enjoyable as such. It was just once we'd finished, it was like, ah, oh, thank goodness. And I remember the day after, we were all just sitting out. I don't know whose room it was. We were all just sitting in the hallway uh, just opposite one another with the Tracy sitting there. And I, it wasn't, it was just, I think a team were very happy, but very, very relieved. So that was fantastic and will always stand up there as, as something special that I was part of. But I think the unexpected one um, in terms of the test was at going on that test tour as captain in 87 to England and winning the first test. We had a whole heap of debutantes, young players, who did exceptionally well, and for us to win that first test, I think it was the first test that was won on English soil, uh, that one was a different victory, uh, but one that gave uh, me as captain and the team a lot of satisfaction. So uh, those two are just the, the standout uh, things in, uh, as far as the time that I played, as far as I'm concerned. Well, Lynn, when you went there and captain in 87, you, you were just 22 years of age, which is quite remarkable, and uh, obviously those leadership skills were were, um, well, uh, on show very early on. Um, I'm interested in your take on cricket at the moment because it has shifted away from Test Match. We seem to be returning back to it just recently, a, a Test Match against India, away in India as well, um, was a, a real positive because I think for the last 20 years it's been a real white ball cricket and obviously with T20 coming in as well and one-day cricket. Were you pleased to see Australia uh, return to t- more Test Match cricket? Yeah, I think you know if you talk to all of the or hear the current players talk, they that's the one thing that they have this thirst for, uh, and and probably realising when my generation and those before that it was it was all test matches, but a lot of that was based on we played two day uh, tournaments, so people were used to batting for longer periods and trying to strategise and work out you know when you should declare and and those sorts of things. So we had that that build up. The girls today have fantastic opportunities with the, with the white ball cricket, but you can understand in their armoury they'd feel there was something missing, not having uh, the opportunity to test these girls at, at, at test cricket. And I think from what we've seen in both the Ashes and in that game in India recently, it is a real test, and our girls certainly were challenged. Um, didn't come out on the right, right end of things, but I think that's probably something that they will... Uh, benefit from and that they'll say well yes we've had all this dominance in recent years but we haven't played a lot of cricket and now you know this is the one thing we need to really work on uh, to uh, under all conditions so uh, I'm really pleased to see that and and if the, the fact that it was you know Australia it was just Australia England at one point and now there are tests against other countries and it just shows that that's 
that's where the appetite is for the players and hopefully it continues to be supported by the administrators around the around the world. I mean, they look at it and say, well, you've invested four days and if we don't get a result, you know, it's it's a lot of money spent, not a lot of eyes on the actual game. So credit to those countries and those those cricket boards who are saying, yeah, let's put a test in there for the girls, give them that opportunity and let's let's build that complete suite of, of games that we can offer, T20, uh, the 50-over game in a test match. I think we echo those sentiments here as well. Lynn, you've become the ninth woman in the Australian Cricket Hall of Fame, joining Belinda Clark, Betty Wilson, Karen Rolton, Catherine Fitzpatrick, uh, Sharon Treadray, Lisa Stelaker, Rayleigh Thompson and Margaret Jennings. There's some great company that you now sit alongside in the Australian Cricket Hall of Fame. Congratulations on the honour and uh, thanks very much for joining us on Summer Breakfast. Uh, thanks so much for having me. And as I said before, I'm extremely honoured and really appreciate all the support that I've received over the last few days. Uh, great to catch up with you, Lynn Larson, who's inducted into the 2024 or the 2024 inductee into the Australian Cricket Hall of Fame.